Hello there, friend. I'm so glad that you hopped onto the Clyde podcast. It's so good to hang out with you today. I love that every single week I get to sit down and interview people and talk to them and engage their stories and hear how God is showing up and colliding with their lives and doing amazing things. And this week is no different. I got to sit down with Jeff Shaw, who's the executive pastor of a large church called Cornwall Church located in the Pacific Northwest. And I got to ask him about how God called him from the business world that he spent decades in to calling him into ministry and why he said yes. Perhaps one of my favorite parts of this interview was when he talked about how he gave his yes to God and he now encourages people that give your yes to God and the details will come. And I love that so much because I think you and I can resonate with sort of hoping and praying and asking for confirmation from God when we make big decisions and little decisions. We sort of want to download the map, the plan, the details first, and then we'll hand our yes over to God. And Jeff challenges us otherwise. There's so many good nuggets in this podcast interview that's coming up. So check it out. I hope it blesses you where you're at today. Jeff, you are the executive pastor of what many would call a mega church. And I'm curious, what did you do career-wise to prepare for this high level of leadership? I would share, I, I didn't plan on being an executive pastor. In fact, before I was asked to be an executive pastor, I don't think I ever heard that title before. So I, I spent 20 years in business and always thought I'd be a business owner, a local business owner. Hmm. So in terms of an executive pastor, um, no, no, no formal, you know, plans or this wasn't on the radar. So you never envisioned this for yourself. Take us back to the experience you had with God, the call on your life to make such a big move from the business world to the ministry world. Yeah, and I would I would have to back up to being, you know, at 25 years old and having it modeled at a church I was attending where the senior pastor came out of the business world, out of a Fortune 500 company and became senior pastor of the church I was at. And so just seeing that and and telling my wife that if God ever called me out of business to do ministry, that I would do it. Yeah. And that was at 25. And so this, you know, the, the ask to, to be an executive pastor was when I was 43. Oh, wow. So you had this inclination that if you were handed this opportunity, you would potentially say yes to it. But even still, for what, 18 years, you were trucking along in business, you were successful, you were purposed, you felt like you were in your lane. And then tell us how this opportunity came and was kind of put in your lap to become uh, a a pastor. Yeah, yeah, it's a God only story. Because again, it wasn't on my radar, and uh, the same week I was I was given my ownership paperwork. Um, our senior pastor had lunch with me the next day, and basically shared that um, he'd been praying and felt God's prompt to to ask me to to step into this 
new position they were creating called an executive pastor and that he felt that God had given him my my name but he was hesitant to to ask just knowing all the objections like there's no way he's going to leave his successful business that he's been you know we've been praying for and, and given this amazing ownership opportunity so he comes to you kind of hesitant thinking you're going to say no and what did that conversation yeah. look like well we had a third party a good friend of mine joined us for that lunch and um they were actually so, so our senior pastor bounced it off my good my good friend like hey i'm going to ask jeff today to pray about coming and being our executive pastor at Cornwall Church here in Bellingham. And so my buddy was like, I want to be there when you ask him. And so in the parking lot of the church, before we left um, our separate ways, our senior pastor basically asked, um, hey, I have something to ask you. Would you perfectly consider this is what an executive pastor is? And... God gave you, gave you, gave me your name, and would you prayerfully consider? And um, and my response um, was immediately picturing when I was twenty five, saying, "If God called me out of business, I would, I would go." Hmm. So my, I, if you asked our senior pastor or my friend, uh, they would say I, I made some noise like. You know, like whoa, like here it is, like whoa, <laughs> no way, huh? And then it was like, um, and again, feeling confirmation by the Holy Spirit of like, yep, He's talking about you. And then just saying, He said, "Would you pray about this?" And I said, "No, I'm in." Um, I, I, I've already said yes to this when I was 25 years old. And then I asked him, "Well, how did you how did you sleep after uh, he gave you my name?" He goes, "Oh, I slept great." <laughs> I love that so much because you're becoming a pastor who doesn't need to pray. And I say that facetiously. I know you do pray, and I yeah. know you need to pray, but that you knew it was almost like yeah. this opportunity locked in with a vision that God had given you so many years ago, yeah. but hadn't handed you the opportunity to the point where you were like no, I don't need to pray. I know this is for me. That's yeah. so cool. That's so cool. So you go home. So I didn't go home. I, I couldn't I couldn't wait to tell my wife because she always has surprises for me. Like uh, we have a new kid in foster care. So I was actually looking forward to shocking her. Like, oh, I can't wait. So I got back to my office and I called her and said, are you sitting down? I said, you know how we talked about business ownership last night on the couch? Well, I had lunch today with, with Pastor Bob, and he asked me to prayerfully consider being the executive pastor at Cornwall Church. And her response without hesitation was, so when when you start? Hmm. So she felt, she felt in her spirit locked into it without the need to spend two weeks fasting and yeah. praying and asking God if this is what you should do. Yep. Yep. So Jeff, when you talk about you, you the night before we're looking at ownership papers, tell us a little bit more what that means, because 
you're looking at two different paths here. You, it sounds like you worked your way up in, in yeah. a company and you had the opportunity yeah. to become an owner. Is that what you're saying? And then yeah. literally the next day you're handed the opportunity to go into ministry. Yep. You got it. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it's something that, you know, I worked for, for 20 years to get this opportunity. I was, my last position was uh, VP of sales for a local company, regional company. Um, so yeah, I basically told my wife that the, the battle and challenge of business was going to pay off in a huge way. And that uh, we were talking about millions. Um, and the next day, you know, our pastor Bob saying, would you prayerfully, um, so we knew what we're, what we're saying yes to was saying no to, um, basically financial security for a long time. So do you just think that that vision that God had given you for your life were so strong that you didn't have to sort of wrestle over the sacrifice of walking away from lots of dollars? I mean, so many people, um, so many people would make either a different decision in your shoes or at least wrestle over or at least feel they need to pray about it. I mean, what is your, why do you think you just knew? Why do you think you could walk away from all of that money and that great opportunity without even needing to talk to your wife and, and kind of get all of the um, confirmation from other conversations? You could just walk and go, yes, this is me. Yeah. I, you know, again, I, I call it the, a God-only story because there's no way I would have that. I, I I would have that conviction of like, yep, here it is. This is what. It's almost like he prepared for that for that exact point of, and when that why in the road comes, are you gonna? What are you gonna choose, me or money? And it was crystal clear. Wow, you said to me earlier, and I hope you can share um again that you you talked about um a yes to god before all the details or what is that yeah. quote that you said to me yeah so that's you know from what i share with our our team and staff that um you know the posture of like so my response was yes to god not even to the position or to the church it was just you know he had prepared me which you know, at 25, that if I, if you, if you call me, I will go. And so here's a call and it's a yes to God. And so kind of the tagline that I use with our team still is just, let's let our yes be to God and the details will follow. Hmm. And sometimes we get those, like we have to have all the details. And this, this was, you know, one example in my life where it was an absolute, like, yes, the answer is yes. Now, as we go down the road, can you fill me in on what this means? Mm. And, and and I need some details. And and uh, so that's uh, you know, and again, I, I, that's how I want to live my life. It's just you know, yes, yes to him, and and uh, I don't need all the details in the front end. Hmm. That's such a good challenge for us, Jeff, because I think so often when we're making decisions for our lives in small ways, but definitely in big ways, it's kind of like we're praying. And a lot of times, and I hear this all the time in conversations where people even feel like God's not speaking to them. 
Mm-hmm. But often it's because we keep asking for details that he's not <laughs> going to give us. Yeah. You know, we're asking yeah. for him to lay out like the full plan, the A to yeah. B to C to Z, you know, map it out, God. And then we'll know if we're to go or we'll, we'll, know, we'll know if we're supposed to say yes or say no. And you're saying say yes to God first, details will follow. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, and oftentimes in our in our lives, it's we say yes to God, and then he's like, great, um, and now it's not yet, right? Now I want you to wait. And um, But really, he wants our heart to be in that posture, right, of like, absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. I want the answer, God, whatever, you know, before you even ask it, is yes. When you pastor people and you're sitting with people and they're eagerly wanting to be where God wants them to be, and you see them waiting for all these details, what do you, what do you advise them? Yeah, I usually, my story usually comes up, like, remember who you're talking to, and then just encourage them of at what point, how much information do you actually need? to make this decision or this life choice, right, this change. Because typically we're never given, you know, not even more than I think 70% of what we need to know. Yeah, maybe that's even high, high percentage. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if we can identify that, that there's fear and that it's a battle of trust, control, and fear. And so if we can just get to more of the trust spot of God is in control and he's going to show you the next step and, um, yeah, and just helping them to, I don't expect them to respond in everything in the way, you know, the way I did on the coming to coming to the church. But, um, yeah, I think I have a unique perspective with, I can help, help them get through some of the, Oh, you know, I, you know, I see that often is where we want all the details before we say yes. Mm-hmm. But if we can flip that and have it be, you know, if, if you know, this is you, God, then, then the answer is yes. And you'll give me the details as I need them. Mm. And so it's a trust. It's a trust posture. It's such a good challenge to think about how how many details are you waiting for before you say yes to God? Yeah. Here you are. You're a businessman, you're walking away from money, you're saying yes to God without all the details. What are some of your pastor assumptions that you had before you became one? <laughs> um, the first one that comes to mind is, again, I still I still have these ministry rosy glasses that I don't want to lose. And that is that, uh, you know, coming into a coming on, on staff in a church that it would just be dripping with the Holy Spirit. It would be, you know, fruit of the Spirit hanging on every office, that that grace and, and how we treat each other would just be like nothing I've ever seen. Mm. And, and, and for the most part, it was there, um, but then shocked when it wasn't there. Actually, you know, disappointed with, oh yeah, we're still, there's still humans that are, are, are part of the part of a staff and there's still conflict there's still um fleshly desires etc mm. you know and it's it's twofold where you know being on a pastoral team was like a team i've never ever experienced before where i didn't feel like they were jockeying position or pay or any of what, what i saw in business 
Hmm. In fact, I would reach out to a few of my business buddies saying, hey, the vision that we had for like our company and what it could look like for our leadership team, I found it. I found exactly what we pictured and talked about, but it's in a church. Hmm. And it has, there's, there's, at that point, there was eight of us, eight pastors, all different skill set, different roles, and an absolute unified team. Hmm. And so that was a, a, the beauty part of, of that. But the, the, um, the challenge is, is that we still are human. And, you know, we had staff conflict and staff challenges, organizational challenges, just like you wouldn't. In, in any organization or family unit. Um, but I found that, like, I'm, I'm still dreamy. I still dream of what it could look like, like, as the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And in, in any place in the world that could have heaven on earth, it would be right here on our staff. Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. I love that you're still dreaming that because I think it's easy to get disillusioned by the church and many people who will even be listening have been hurt by the church and stopped dreaming about what it could be and stop participating to make it better. And here you are right smack dab in the middle of it. And you're like, I'm not going to give up on that. Yeah, I think, you know, COVID kind of put a little... You know, it was a challenging couple of years, but, you know, recently I've, I've been expressing this vision and dream again of, mm-hmm. of, of what it could look like to, to truly be and represent the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Um, yeah, so that's, it's fun to dream again and to picture what that could, what, what that could look like. And we know the reality that on this side of, of heaven that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're never going to reach that, but, but we're, that's where we're aiming. Mm-hmm. You've been someone that I've turned to for mentoring and advice and big brotherhood in some ways. And I have another, um, man who is, was in business his whole life and now he's retired and he invests in, in younger leaders in ministry and business. And, he always teaches it's not a matter of if there's going to be a breakdown 
whether it's in business or ministry, there will be breakdowns. It's a matter of what we do with those breakdowns. And that was so eye-opening for me because I think, of course, there's going to be breakdowns in church uh, in the same way that there is if you work at a grocery store, right? But it's a matter of how we respond and how we lead in those. You now lead people who lead people who lead people. So you get front row tickets to see people biffed in leadership and you get front row tickets to see people completely nail it. What are some of the kind of blunders you see in people's leadership? If you were to pick, you know, one or two things that are like these two things um, can completely ruin your leadership in the place God's called you. Yeah. And I think, you know, the first thought I had was just what Jesus modeled, right? That, you know, we use the word, servant leadership, but Jesus really modeled serving humility and and not hierarchy. And so, you know, when I think about you know young young leaders giving them permission to, to fail and, and biff it, um, but giving them opportunities to also succeed. And and uh, you know there's nothing greater for you know I think as a leader to see um up and coming leaders and, and 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 them starting to get those aha moments of like, wow, I can I can do this, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I would think so. The humility um, uh, is, is a big one that I that I see, you know, and again, wanting to rush, like um, I see some young leaders that want certain. Um, responsibilities or roles, but they have they haven't they haven't they're not asking the right questions, right? Of like, well, how did you get? How did you get there? Like, what was the journey? And the there's always you know there's always a challenge, and you know to get to to, to even be called a leader, and um, and oftentimes they they, they think you know that, that up and comers think that uh well if I get if I get the title of leader. Um, then I'm a leader, and, and and those of us that have the title don't want the title. So it's yeah, you know, yeah. it's interesting that that you share this because one thing that you and I both have in common is I also experienced you know the senior pastor that you speak of, the same man Bob Marvel, um, suggest years ago almost. 25, 30 years ago, I don't know the math right now, that when I applied to be an intern at Cornwall Church, he asked if I would consider preaching. And I I was like, no way. There is no way. I mean, I'll like visit elderly ladies at nursing homes and I'll play with kids at youth group and I'll do overheads when we had overhead projectors, but there's no way that I'm going to preach. And in that conversation, he really challenged me because I was I didn't believe that I had that kind of leadership capability. And he saw it in me before I saw it in myself as someone who has also experienced that where he saw in you executive pastor before you're an executive pastor. How do you now see young leaders and spot potential in someone who doesn't believe they have it? Cause you were just talking about, there's some people who are like, no, call me leader, call me leader. I want to be a leader. Give me all this responsibility, but they're not necessarily, um, 
open to humility, open to learning, open to thinking maybe they're not quite there yet. But then there's also these other people, kind of like the young me 30 years ago, who thought there's no possible way God could ever use me to say anything that was spiritually transformative for another human being. And now here you are, and you're in this position, and all these young leaders either work for you or come to you for advice. And so I'm just super curious how you spot that in someone and call it out of them when they don't see it in themselves. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the primary role of a leader is to spot, spot, grow, pour into. Um, and, you know, I think even as a, a good example of this is, you know, as a father seeing that in your own kids, right? Or as a parent, you see that in your kids, like you see what they, you see potential, you see some giftings, right? And so it's just pouring gas on that and just calling it out. Like, man, this is, this is what I see in you. And sometimes just, you know, as it's happened to you and me, sometimes they, you get that invitation or that, you know, someone's telling you what you are before you are. And it, you're wrestling with God. I'm like, is that true? Um, so I, I, I see it, um, very, very frequent where the, the, you know, I don't, I don't want to use the word young leader, just a new, right. Or a different, or they're, they're uh, they feel God calling me to a different role and, and we see it. Like I, there's many things I can think of examples where I'm like, I saw it way before they did. Um, and then realizing that you know, helping them down the, down that path, realizing that they're, they don't see what I see yet. And then, um, so what can I do to help them close that gap? Um, and it's fun when they eventually see it. And again, I love it when it's God revealing that, not, not Jeff. Right. Um, I think of a, a transition we just had with one of our pastors that, you know, I saw it coming way before, but having that patience and waiting for God to reveal it to that pastor that this is a new role for you. Um, so, yeah, that's it's every day in my home and in, and in church. Yeah, but what a cool, a cool thing to be able to do for people, call out God's potential in them. That's just such an honor. And then to see it unfold is such a cool thing. I'm kind of curious, who are some of the leaders you most admire that shaped your leadership? Yeah, I would, I, I would share for, for me, it was, um, I did a college program, an internship that was selling um, books door to door. And so at an early age, learning leadership principles, learning um, management skills. Um, and so when I was a senior in college, I had a, an organization of uh, 40 students at Oregon State that I was their, I was their boss. Oh, wow. So, um, so that organization, I could list several of those leaders um, were very intentional and important to me in my 20s. Um, and so it elevated me where, you know, different organizations I've been with, I've always been, you know, they always say like years ahead of my age, just because I had that experience and mm. those leaders pouring into me, which again is why I love pouring into, you know, I'm attracted to 20 year olds that want to learn. 
and grow can and be be great leaders. Um, so that that was my my background. That's awesome. A lot of people have stories of being hurt by church leadership, Jeff, and I know you know that. And I know that um, even in the last few years, that's been voiced pretty clearly by a lot of yeah. people. I'm kind of curious, how do you lead people who lead people who lead people in a way that helps them not hurt people, but instead bring healing to the pain they've already incurred in the church? Yeah, you know, that is a common thing that we hear and see. And so I, I think, too, is just, you know, whenever someone shares that, that they've been hurt by the, by the church, um, just realizing that what, what they're really trying to say is that someone in the church hurt them. It, it wasn't, and we're all the church. It's not a building, right? So that's it's typically an individual that represented the church that hurt them. And again, because of our brokenness, and um, it, it happens. And so... You know, for me, I think it's when we, when we generalize the, with the word church, um, you know, I always come back to, to we're talking about the bride of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be gentle. And uh, just as Jesus modeled, we want to be gentle with the words that we share about his church. It's ultimately, it's, it's Jesus's church, not anybody else's. And so, but then meeting them where they're at, if, you know, there's true, you know, there's there's been a lot of damage and hurt. Um, but again, I come back to my rosy glasses, Willow, and say, however, we are, our faith is all about forgiveness. And so how do we lead with forgiveness? And so as, as a leader, if I've hurt somebody or, you know, I want, I want to, you know, I mean, we're forgiven to be forgiven, you know? And so, um, so I think it can be a, you know, meeting, meeting the individual where they're at, realizing that's a person, and then seeing where they're at with, with their own forgiveness. Um, because, you know, you don't want to hold on to that. And I think biblical forgiveness between you and God, sometimes we get reconciliation confused with forgiveness, is that I can go, I can forgive someone that's hurt me, and that's between, between me and God. And as God leads us to reconciliation, that's that's secondary, um, but I don't have to carry that hurt in the in the wound. Um, that I, I can I can find freedom and and even peace and in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting. You mentioned meeting them where they're at, just making space and not dismissing the pain people have experienced yeah. and. Yeah really allowing them to express it, but also eventually inviting them to move to a place where uh, the anger and bitterness and frustration doesn't stay dormant inside of them because that only just comes out sideways to hurt them even more. But I definitely agree with you. Meeting them where they're at and making space for it is important. And it is such a projection. So many of us have been hurt by a person. Um, some by a system, but, you know, making space for people to be able to really talk about that is important. And I, I also completely agree with you, like inviting them to eventually get to a space where that's not holding them back because they're so mad and so angry. Yeah. But I, I love too, that you still dream of 
a church where there is forgiveness and there is reconciliation yeah. and there is love and there is goodness. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people have given up on that dream. And I love that yeah. you're still leading with that dream in mind. Thank you. Yeah. You know, you've been in business, you've been in ministry. I'm just kind of curious, um, what are some business principles that you think we could use in the church? And what are some ministry principles you think we could use in business? This is just me geeking out. Like, I just love business and ministry. So I want to hear what you have to say about that. Well, I'm not sure if you want to hear. This this is a... It's been a real learning experience, right? I mean, there's there's principles that definitely apply to both business and, and ministry. But I, I came into Cornwall thinking that, you know, and even applauded and encouraged that, oh, we have a business leader finally. And that'll, you know, make the church more like a business. And early on, it was like, I just didn't sit right. That like, I don't think we want to make, the church of business and you know one of the uh one of the books i read early on in my executive pastor time was was um it's called good to great in the social sector and it talks about how um, bringing business um, mentality into the social sector is actually dead wrong Hmm. and so that was the first book and really was a gift from from god just it was sitting in our lunchroom, and I was like, whoa. But it really resonated with me, with me of like, there we go. Like that's, it's not make church business. I, I think church can influence business more, more. And I spent 20 years in business. I think church can, can really teach a, a lot to the business community. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm fortunate to have a, a group of of Cornwall Church business leaders that we we get to to connect and pray for each other and and um, yeah it's so in terms of like the like you're hitting a chord that I think we could probably spend another thirty <laughs> I wouldn't even say thirty minutes I'm saying and some of this I'm still gra- I'm still learning mm-hmm. of, um, but I'm pretty my conviction's pretty high that. It, it's um, that we don't, that there's, you know, in terms of character, in terms of uh, development, there's stuff the business world does does well. Mm-hmm. But we don't, um, that there's a lot that we don't want to bring into the church. Jeff, have you had moments where, or days where you've wanted to go back to business? I mean, what keeps you saying yes to working at a church? Yeah, I think... You know, uh, I personally have not wanted to go back to business. I think there's been moments where, um, you know, I've been asked by my former employer to come back and it was like, no way. And even a hard, like, nope, not going to do that. And a lot of that is just like, experiencing beauty of, of the, you know, what the church can do and, and the significance in it. But God also had a, you know, had a moment where it was like, I, you know, he wanted me to, you know, come to that place where it's like, God, if you were leading me back to business, the answer is yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so just that openness to really, it's not about, do I want to go back to business or stay in ministry? What I really want to do is do what God wants me to do. And so that obedience to where 
where does he want me to be? And I get asked often of like, you know, are you going to be at Cornwall Church for, you know, five years, 10 years? And my response is typically like, I never asked to be here. So as long as he's got me here, he knows how to make it clear to me. And so as long as I'm here, I just want to make it better and set up the next person. Hmm. It's interesting you share that because that's other people asking you to give them the details. And once again, God doesn't give us all the details. You said yes, and here you are. And when he wants you to be somewhere else, you'll know, right? Yep. You got it. Yeah. Well, and two, it's like we always want to project like where we're going to be. You know, I hate the interview question. Where are you going to be in five years? We never know. We don't really know. Mm. So why do we pre- pretend to know? We we plan, right? But Scripture is pretty clear about how we plan and whose plan it is. Um, but just releasing that, saying, "Here's where I am today," and if God called me somewhere else, again, the answer is yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so. You know, get back to your question is if, you know, have I thought about going back to business? No. Um, but if he called me back to business, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I want to talk for a few more minutes before we end our time together about your beautiful family. You have an amazing wife. She's on the Clyde volunteer ministry team and she exudes joy and warmth and strength and blesses anyone who gets to call her a friend. You have bio kids and you have foster kids and foster kids you've adopted. Can you kind of invite us into your family and how it's been shaped? Yeah. So you've, you've described my wife exceptionally well, and she, she is definitely my biggest supporter, encourager, um, she's one that sees stuff in me and calls it out before I often see it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we, um, you know, married, uh, coming up on 25 years. We have four biological kids, 24, 22, 17, and 16. And then we've had a foster daughter and we've had four foster little kids. And now we have four, we adopted those four, um, four little guys and three of them are related. So when someone asks us, depends on the environment, how many kids you have, that's always a tricky question as a foster <laughs> adopted parent. It's like, when are you asking? And are you talking like how many is in the house right now? Or how many I've had or had or, you know, so mm-hmm. usually I, I chuckle when someone asks how many kids, kids you have. Um, that's a lot, Jeff. I have two and I've been overwhelmed. I cannot even imagine your guys's just daily life, daily life in the Shaw household. If you like, uh, parties and loudness, um, that's, that's <laughs> our house. Right. And we, we chuckle cause we're, my wife and I are both uh, introverts, and so we laugh that God has a great sense of humor. He gives two introverts eight kids or nine kids, and uh, it's it's pretty wild. Wow. How do you guys recoup your needed introvert energy when you're never alone? Yeah, well, um, Fridays, I'm off on Fridays, and, and so from 923 till 319 <laughs> that's our time together we block mm-hmm. that we so it's our date fridays and 
So we both really guard that time and mm-hmm. um, whether it's walks or lunch or even a nap to, you know, whatever, just together. Um, we cherish that. So that, that's been a gift. And I love that. Thank you, you know, for all the school, school teachers and administrators that make this all happen. Yeah. Here's your date, your date day guys. I have done several interviews with moms who foster or adopt, but I have never been able to sit with a dad in here. So I get to right now. I'd love to hear your heart as a father. How's adopting invited you farther into the father heart of God who says we're adopted as his children? Yeah, it really, that, that scripture in Romans, right, is we're, we're adopted. Like it just means so much more having actually adopted kids. Um, and then just that, you know, if you've never adopted a child, you know, it, there's a, there's a lie that you can't love them the same, um, as your biological, it's gotta be different, right? The blood, the, and I don't want to deny that it's, that it's, you know, different, but it is amazingly, surprisingly close to the same. And I, I think as time goes on, the more time I have with my adopted kids, it it's feeling more and more like biological love. And so, and then you bring that to our heavenly Father, like, oh, that that's the same, you know, that He adores us, loves us, and we're adopted into His love. And so, yeah, it's been it's been an amazing journey. Um, and so for those that are, you know, moms that are, that are fostering and families that are fostering, it, it's the hardest thing I've, I've ever done. And so, you know, I get to come to ministry and to me, this seems like a cakewalk compared to my home. And when I come home, it's full on, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you don't know what you're walking in the door to. And so you just basically, so I call it my two ministries. So my, and then my home is my most important ministry. So I have this little like mental uh, going into my driveway saying, all right, God, I don't know what I'm walking into, but you give me strength and energy and supernatural power. And let's do this. <laughs> and walk in the door and you might have kicking, screaming, who knows what you're going to run into. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and children with trauma is real. Um, I did not really grasp that as a, a biological father, but seeing that in very young kids, you know, you just put them in a Christian home and they're, they get over it. Yeah, that's so far from the truth. Um, huh. And so just walking in trauma with my, my adopted four and then even the adoption process creates trauma for my biological four. So it's just, you know, we're just a trauma, trauma unit, you know, Hmm. Um, and we've had to go to, you know, specialized parent uh, coaching and training and I've just had a, had a parent trauma, trauma kids. Mm -hmm. And then we realize, well, that uh, we're all trauma kids. And so through this journey, you know, with therapists, with my adopted four, and realizing like, oh, yeah, um, 
So let me give you an example. If your dad left when you were four years old and you didn't have a dad for two years, what would that what would that do to to a child? And that's my story. And so I'm using my adopted kids therapist for my own therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized like we, you know, a lot of us, and I can probably say most of us have early childhood trauma mm-hmm. in different forms. Um, so that's, uh, that's been part of our, our journey and story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, I know for, even for myself, I've experienced trauma and I love so much that we have a God who says, you are loved so much by me. I'm going to scoop you up and take you in to my arms and into my family. And you're doing that. I admire you and Jen so much. I admire you, Jeff, that you pour out at work all day in ministry at the church. And then you drive home and pep talk yourself in the car before you go into your own house, because then you pour out at home in your ministry at home. And I'm curious, and this is my last question for you at the end of your life, what do you hope your ministry at the church, what do you hope people say about you? And what do you hope your ministry at home, your family says about you? Yeah, I, my, you know, I have a picture of what, the, what that could look like. And you know, I think above everything that they would they would say that he wasn't just a religious leader or he just he wasn't just, you know, talking about Jesus, that he he knew he followed. Um, he was full of Christ and and to be around, you know, to be around him, you, he would spill on you like just, a, you know, just the affectious love of um yeah, and then just a reminder of, you know, my, my home is the most important. You know, though those, you know, this squad that God's given us is, you know, I would, I would want them to say, you know, that uh, he wasn't a godly, necessarily a godly man, but he was a great father. And despite, you know, whether they're biological, adopted, foster, and then again, I just was a representation of Christ that, you know, I got to be, I got to just reflect our Heavenly Father to, to those I came in contact with. Mm. I have a great, great feeling that that is exactly what they will see and say about you at the end of your ministry lives in both, both those areas. And I know that you are pouring out and sacrificing for so many. And on behalf of them, I just want to say thank you as one of the beneficiaries of that. You're welcome. Jeff, how can people connect with you and the work you do at Cornwall Church in Bellingham in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, so the best way is through cornwallchurch.com, and you can get a hold of me through through our website there is the best way. Thank you, Jeff, for hanging out with me today. Oh, it was fun. Thank you. Well, friend, I hope that interview was used in some way to encourage you in the place you're at, whether you're in a big decision-making mode right now and trying to figure out where God's calling you to go or what He's calling you to do. I hope you'll be encouraged that the details don't always come before your yes has to. I also hope you're encouraged as you hear the story of Jeff, and I'm 
I'm just moved by how much he pours out at work and then he pours out at home. And I think a lot of us feel like that. We feel like we're going and going and going and giving and giving and giving and sacrificing. And even that blip at the end where he shares that he gives himself a pep talk before he walks in the house every day. Man, don't we all just need to sit around and give ourselves pep talks and remind ourselves that we can do it. He is such an inspiration as he lives his life pouring out to impact all the people around him. And I hope he inspired you today. I know he inspired me. I know that you're pouring out and giving and serving the people in your life. And my prayer is that God will continue to show up in the middle of that and encourage you and guide you and fill you with the hope and the light that you need to do that. I'm so glad that you hopped on today. And I hope that you are seeing Jesus show up and collide with your life. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.